0: Welcome to the WP Tonic WordPress and SaaS podcast. Jonathan Denwood and his co-host, Stephen Souder interview the leading experts in WordPress, e-learning and online marketing to help WordPress professionals launch their own SaaS. Take it away, guys. Welcome back, folks, to the WP Tonic this week in WordPress and SaaS, where we discuss all things that will help the WordPress entrepreneur. Um, and business owner get build a business of their dreams and get the freedom which hopefully they're looking for for themselves and their family. We have a great friend of the show, a personal friend, a great speaker, insightful, argumentative, but really interesting. We've got the Viking in the house. We've got Morten Rand-Hangerson, senior staff instructor at LinkedIn. So, Morton, would you like to quickly introduce yourself to the new listeners and viewers and the tribe, the WP tribe in general? I think you
1: did a pretty good job. Uh, my name is Morton. I am a senior staff instructor at LinkedIn Learning. So, I make courses about front end web development, design, and the interaction between humans and computers for millions of people around the world. So, if you go to LinkedIn and you click on the learning button at the top, you'll Type in Morton or something that sounds like Morton, you'll find my courses.
0: And I want to give a quick tip don't get into a Twitter discussion with Morton. He's vicious. Uh, um, uh, <laughs> don't say uh, stupid
1: things on Twitter and expect well, me to I not call you out I'm on th- 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 it. As I know, you,
0: you, you thought they were. Uh, um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and you got every right for your opinion. Um, Stephen, would you like to introduce yourself to the new listeners and viewers, Stephen?
2: Yeah, Stephen Souter from hustlefish.com. And apparently I need to spend more time on Twitter because I've because I, I missed it.
0: Right, right. There
2: <laughs> the, we go. The, the lively discussion.
0: <laughs> oh, it's hilarious how I was put in my place. Uh um, so um so um what we're gonna be discussing, we're gonna be looking at online learning for e-learning auto burners, educationalness. For anybody interested in where e learning, online learning is going in the next couple of years, it's going to be a fascinating discussion. Before we get into the meat of our discussion, we're going to go over and you're going to hear a message from my great major sponsor. I'll be back in a few seconds. Hi there, folks. I just wanted to tell you about our major sponsor, and that's Castos. If you're looking to get into podcasting for yourself or for clients, you need a top-quality podcasting platform, and that's what you get with Castos. It has a superb interface, really easy to use, and you're not penalised for success. They have a flat-rate pricing structure. Don't matter how many podcasts you make, how many downloads you achieve, you'll just pray at one fixed rate with Castos, plus there's support and just the quality of the people are just amazing also for the WP Tonic tribe Castos is just offering an amazing deal if you go to the WP Tonic website backlink newsletter you can get your first six months at half price that's right half price that's the only an exclusive offer to you the tribe also you'll be able to sign up for the WP Tonic weekend weekly newsletter, which keeps you informed about all the stories and what's happening in the WP Tonic tribe. Please show your support for the show and support Castos. It's a fantastic platform. We're coming back. So, Morton, we've got a hell of a lot to talk about and you've got a limited amount of time because you're a busy guy. Um, So, let's get stuck in. So, Obviously, have you observed a couple problems or patterns that a lot of people have when they want to build an online course or they just want, you know, educationalists or entrepreneur um, around online education? Are there a couple patterns, a couple of things which a lot of people misunderstand or get wrong?
1: Um. I'll say, first of all, I just need to like pr- be precise here. Is, uh, I speak for myself here, not for the company I work for, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, caution, blah, 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 just so that... Uh, the online learning is has been around for decades. I mean, I used to work for lynda.com, which was bought by LinkedIn. And uh, Lynda f- pretty much invented that entire space. Uh, the idea of taking what used to be a classroom environment and putting it online so people can watch it. On their terms, when they want to. Um, it started with DVDs, and just like Netflix, it kind of switched over to online. Um, online learning is deceptively challenging because um, one of the like, anyone who's taught in a classroom or anyone who's done any type of teaching, even if it's sitting next to a child or n- next to a coworker, learning something, will know that a lot of learning has to do with feedback. So you show something or instruct something and then you look at whether or not that is actually catching on and then based on what happens with the learner, you then alter your path until you get where you want to go. Um, In online learning, there is no such thing because you're talking to someone who will watch what you're doing sometime in the future and you don't know their context. Um, So uh, everyone, everyone has the ability to teach someone how to do what they know. Figuring out how to do that in a way that where you're addressing the concerns that come up in the learner as you're moving forward, when the learner isn't there, is the big challenge. And, and especially doing that when you're a subject matter expert. because So there's this difference between focal and tacit knowledge. And the classic example is um, if you talk to a doctor and they take like a chest x-ray or a lower body x-ray or, or um, ultrasound or something of you, And then they say, oh, yes, I see something is going on. If if you've ever been in that situation or you ever find yourself in that situation, you should ask to see what they're seeing. And what you'll see is like a blurry cloud of mess. And then from this blurry mess, they will be able to discern things. Like they'll say, this blurry mess over here is your liver and this is your kidneys and something is off here. And all you're seeing is this blurry mess. Now, if you ask them to explain what they're seeing, they are unlikely to be able to explain it to you. They'll be like, there's something that's not right here, but they can't really point at what's right or wrong or anything. And the reason for that is they have a lot of tacit knowledge, meaning they've seen hundreds or thousands of images like this, and they start noticing patterns, but they're not, it's not focal in their minds what is actually different. So they can't explain it. As you professionalize, as you build skills in any craft, a lot of your base knowledge of the craft becomes tacit. It just becomes built-in, things you just do because you know it's right. When you're teaching, you have to somehow know how to lift the tacit knowledge into the front of your mind so you, so it becomes focal and so that you can explain it. That's part of what happens when you're doing classroom teaching is you say something or you present something and then you can see everyone's eyes glaze over. <laughs> and You're like, okay, that clearly didn't catch on. So there's some part of this I'm missing. And then you can go back and be like, okay, so which one of the 100,000 things I, I tacitly know is it that they need to know to understand this, right? So uh, th- this, is, this is the core of the challenge, is figuring out how to do this when you don't get feedback. Now, all the technical aspects of it have been solved. Like w- we are now in a world where anyone who has any thing to say, all they need is a semi-functioning cell phone and an internet connection. And they can make anything they want. You can put it on TikTok. You can put it on YouTube. You can put it on whatever platform you want. You can build your own CMS with an LMS built in. Like you can do whatever you want with it. The true challenge is making actual quality learning content. And that's something that I struggle with every day because it's not, like I've been doing this for 10 or 12 years now. And I still sit, most of my time going, uh, is this actually meaningful? Do people actually understand this? Or do I need, is there some part I'm missing or something I'm assuming the learner knows that they may not know? And should I address this on the chance that they don't know it? Or is that a waste of time because everyone knows it? Is this something that is common knowledge or not? Like these are the questions that go through my mind constantly.
2: The, I think like the other aspect of that, like you kind of mentioned it, like the feedback loop, but the doing, like whenever I've been in a physical course, right? There's like mm-hmm. homework assignments or there's something that you have to do. And then you have to show up the next day and you have to sit in front of the person that told you to do it and be like, here's what I did, or I was lazy and I didn't do it. Um, yeah. But with like online courses, right? They have like quizzes or they have things that you're supposed to do, but you, there's this element of the personal responsibility or that connection that's not there. So it's so easy like for me to just go through a course and just watch the videos and be like, all right, check, completed that course. I learned all that information. And then a month later, I go to do it and I'm like, wait, I did not learn a single thing. Like there's just so much in that doing that's like a required aspect of Uh, learning, I think.
1: So there's the Netflix problem. Right, um, So I, I have a course that's called JavaScript Essential Training. It's free, by the way. So if anyone's watching this, you can go learn JavaScript for free, uh, at least until the end of the year. Um, and I remember I got an email from someone or a tweet, like somehow someone contacted me and said, I watched your entire course and I didn't learn anything. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, thanks. That, that, that doesn't tell me anything about your learning experience. Can you tell me more? And this person said they'd sat down and watched the course in one sitting, like six hours. And I'm like, are you well, of course you didn't learn anything? That is an unreasonable amount of information to try to process in six hours. Like no one can do that. If I watched that course in one sitting, I would be confused. And I made it because it's so condensed. Like every single movie, it's like a four to five minute movie, holds an entire concept in JavaScript. And the assumption is you will watch the movie, then you will sit down and play around with it until it makes sense to you, until you're able to figure out like, when I do these things, this happened, and these are the things that I can't do. And like, basically the thing that you do in school, right? When you learn math for the first time. So the teacher tells you how to do addition. And then you do like sheet upon sheet upon sheet of basic addition, until you're like, my hand is cramping up. And why am I doing this? And it's because you're training that tacit knowledge of how it's supposed to work to the point you're not thinking about it
0: your, your education your educational experiences were a bit different than mine <laughs> okay whatever
1: <laughs> now I want to know
0: what John's education I know experience. I'm like What's that <laughs> <story>? <laughs> well what I'm, what I'm pointing out and I don't um, you understand in a second I, I have I have a syndrome dyslexia um, I was just put in a corner and classified as a subnormal idiot because um I couldn't do the things which you've just outlined in yeah. a proficient way. Um, but I don't really I don't I don't exactly disagree with what you're saying, but I don't really also agree with it. I understand why you're saying it. Um because I apply it to my own experiences, because I couldn't do the fundamental thing which you've just outlined. You, First
1: of all, uh, I also have dyslexia, but I did not have that experience, because for like, fortunate for me and unfortunate for you, we were in different educational environments. And it's terrible that you were treated like that. That should not happen, uh, because... It's a rough it might, world. It's it a rough be, world. No, 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 no. It's because we're old. And like 20, 30 years ago, the understanding of learning disabilities, for example, was not what it is today. And the, under, the attitude in the educational system was often, if you don't have certain skills, then you are somehow of lesser value, right? That is a type of thinking that is, still exists in specific uh, political circles and everything else and is extremely harmful, unfair, and quite frankly, stupid. Because it, it, it discounts people's abilities to do things based on um, whether or not they're able to conform to specific ways of doing things that are normalized, which doesn't make any sense. Uh, like The fact that I, I have severe dyslexia, which means I read at speaking pace. So if someone, when I went to university, we would have like reading assignments for a six-month six term or four-month term. that were like 5,000 pages. I'm like, there's no way I'm going to read all this. Just there is no way I'm going to read this. So I went to the professor and I'm like, what is it I can omit from the, from the curriculum to finish this? And he's like, no, you can't omit things. And then I just went to the students that were one year above me and I said, which parts of the books were irrelevant to this class. And they would literally be like, okay, this entire section of the book, we never touched it. And I would sit there and like strike out sections of the curriculum and not read it. And then of course, when I got to my oral exams, the, the examiner realized they had not read a bunch of the stuff. So he's like, oh my God, you should fail this class because you didn't read the material. And I'm like, it's unreasonable to make me read materials like make me read this much because I have a learning disability,
0: right? I don't I don't like that term disability when it comes
1: it, to dis- It is the official term for it.
0: But well, if you want to disagree
1: with the term disability, you need to have a larger conversation with the We need to get on track because I, of,
0: Steve I can see where our discussions go. Yeah, but so, uh, so, right, okay. Uh, right.
1: but this is this is kind of like off to the side. Yeah. The point is um um When you're learning things, one of the key parts of learning anything is repetition. You have to repeat things over and over and over. What we are starting to see just as a society is that people are becoming more and more attuned to this idea that you can see something and do it once and then be perfect at it. And a part of that is because what we're seeing on social media is often the end result of like a decade's worth of training, right? So you see someone who's like, you have this... um, There's this funny blog, uh, which is called like Cake Disasters or something like that, where you see like, here's an Instagram cake that looks amazing. And then someone tries to do it and it's like, complete disaster. And it's hilarious because it's so terrible. What you're not realizing is the people who built the original cake may have been doing this for 10 years, right? And knows all the secrets and don't even know how they know it and, and don't know how to explain all the secrets or just have some intrinsic skill that you need to train yourself to. And then when people come to that, they go, they try once and they go, I can't do this, so I'm a failure. And then they give up, right? Or they go, okay, I understood this once. I don't need to repeat it. And they don't realize this whole concept of like, no, you actually have to repeat it until it's built in. And um, my personal experience of this um, in in like the close, uh, in the last several years or within the last decade was when I learned to dance. Because I've been working with tech and code for so long that when I look at code, even if I don't know the coding language, I can usually figure out what's going on because I can see like the logic structure of it and I understand pieces and how programming works and all that stuff. So it's very hard for me to, um, to uh, empathize or, or put myself in the shoes of someone who's just learning to code because I have all this background knowledge. But when I started to learn how to dance, I had no background knowledge and I had to very slowly build up my skill and i had i got the experience of that weird learning curve which is you're terrible at something and then you quickly pick up some skill and it's significant and then you get to a point where you realize that what you know is nothing and your confidence in your skill drops (laughs) below where it was when you started right and in the dance school, like now I'm like a gold level dancer. And I see that in all the new students they come in and they get to a certain point and I can see their confidence in themselves and their frustration is rising to a point where they want to quit. And I have to go in and say, look, the, the fact that you think you are terrible at this, it means that you are learning because mm-hmm. you've gotten to the point where you realize you have to practice more. You have to like, and when I say practice more, I mean, you have to commit yourself for years to get to the point you need to be, or then get to the point you thought you were at, and that applies to all things. You have to do it many, 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 many times, and that's one of the things we can't do in online training. I can't I think, make you do that.
2: Yeah, I think another contributing factor to that, um, like you're saying, like TikTok and Instagram, and seeing like you know you, you get to see all of these like experts, but also like because the knowledge of the world is at your fingertips, there's times where you can hack the system Mm -hmm. and you jump. And that like, whatever that feedback loop that happens in your brain, that's like, wow, I just did this super complex thing. Um, reinforces this behavior that feels like you should be able to do it for everything. And if you can't do it for everything that there's something wrong. I, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, I was working with an older programmer, like in his fifties. Um, And, you know, back in the good old days when you had to know everything, like, it was like you were thumbing through books, or you knew it. Um, And just the amount of knowledge that was in his head that could just flow to his fingertips was just incredible. Like, I would have to Google half of that stuff because like, I know there's a function to do this and I know what it's supposed to do, but I have to look it up to figure out exactly how it does it. Cause I haven't used it in forever, but he, he's just like, no, like I know this stuff cause I had to learn it. I had yeah. to memorize it or else coding was incredibly inefficient. Um, and so the moments where it's like, that doesn't work, I can't just Google it and figure it out. I can't just look at a tutorial and go replace, you know, fix something or replace something um, is a very frustrating thing. Cause it feels like I should be able to do that more.
1: You know, That is is something that I'm thinking a lot about now because of what's happening in the front-end web world with the low-code and no-code environments. Um, When I was in high school, ages ago, um, they had just introduced this idea of these graph calculators, you know, the really big calculators that have a screen and you can actually make the calculator draw graphs graphing calculators fancy crap um and they were little computers um and uh it, like we were it, i started high school when there was a major reform in school so they went from no calculators in the classroom to we are going to use these calculators so all our teachers were like the calculator is a crutch and you shouldn't really use it and they were kind of fighting the curriculum which and the whole curriculum and all the books and everything were focused on using these calculators um and uh, the debate there was if you only learn how to do this using a calculator you don't really learn the skill and the pushback that we as the students gave and that eventually won out was you don't need to know the skill because computers do this better and unless you're like Trapped on a boat in a river with no internet or electricity, and you need to calculate how quickly the river is running through a dam on paper, like, there's no situation where you would actually be in a situation where you wouldn't have access to these tools anymore. Because the tools are ever-present and omnipresent. And on the off chance that you don't have access to them, there's a book you can reference, right? Um, no one's going to, like, calculate the landing trajectory of a spaceship using paper anymore unless they are forced to, right? So, so building the entire training regimen around, that just doesn't make any sense, especially for high school. Um, that is something that I think applies more and more to coding. This idea that everyone must learn how to code makes less and less sense because we are now at a point where the tools that we have available to us are advanced enough that people can get the job done without necessarily knowing how to write the baseline code. And more importantly, the code that we're shipping into the web is already compiled by computers to such an extent that it's effectively not human-readable code anyway. So we're already using the tools. And the only difference is either you write the original code yourself or you have a tool write the original code for you. And the skills necessary to write the original code yourself are not required for most of the things that we want to build on the web, right? It used to be that if you didn't know how to write pure, like, standards-based HTML, if you didn't know how to write error-free JavaScript, if you didn't know how to write clean and optimal CSS, you would produce output code that was not working properly, was not compiling properly, was, was um, not very performant. The reality is, first of all, you can now write terrible code and it gets compiled out to something that's functional, right? And you have linting tools that will clean it for you. So you don't even have to clean it. You can like literally write incorrect code and the, a tool will fix it for you. Um, but more importantly, there are uh, there are components and frameworks and extensions that are built to do the majority of that work for you. So instead of saying, I want to build like a card, you say, I'm going to bra- grab this card component and just configure it, right? And the distance between I'm going to grab a card component in code and configure it and I'm going to grab this thing in the view and drag it over here and drop it and pick the color It's just a matter of interface, right? So in the near future, and I think like within two to five years, the role of the front-end developer, the regular front-end developer will shift from being, I write HTML and JavaScript and CSS to I configure some form of low-code or no-code environment where I do some coding, but very minimal. And five to ten years from there, or two to five years from there, the people who write front-end code will be laggards like me and people who write the tools that we use in these low-code environments. And no one else will write that code. It'll just be that. And the the necessity of learning how to write code will face itself out and become more the necessity of learning how to properly understand how the computer systems work to create these environments, uh, being able to troubleshoot when something goes wrong, but more importantly, being able to use them to build things that are functional and meaningful to the end user. That's and so it's great. a very dramatic shift in how our industry operates.
0: Right, that's great. We need to go for our break and listen to a couple of our great sponsors. We'll be back in a few moments, folks. Hi there, folks. Are you looking to build modern shopping cart landing pages using the power WooCommerce for yourself or for clients? And you want to do that quickly with little need to know about hand coding? Well, if the answer is yes, and it should be, I've got the perfect answer for you, and that's Launch Flows. Launch Flows is the most modern and easiest way of building modern landing shopping pages for your clients. It also works natively. With Gutenberg and the leading page builders like Allimator or Divi. It's really flexible, really powerful. Plus, if you go to the WP Tonic website, backlink newsletter you'll get an amazing deal of the launch flows lifetime deal i think you almost get a third off which is just amazing and it's just an exclusive offer to you the tribe please show your support for launch flows who's a sponsor of the wp tonic podcast and for the show itself it's much appreciated hi there folks are you involved in the building of new websites or supporting WordPress websites as a freelancer or agency owner? If the answer is yes, we've got a great tool here, Avereen. As you know, you can waste a tremendous amount of time with email or phone tag with your clients around a new WordPress build-out or supporting multiple websites. It can be a real pain in the posterior. But with Avereem, you get a central interface where clients can log in and with an easy visual interface, they can show you the changes they require. It's a real game changer and it will save a tremendous amount of time and frustration, not only for yourself, for your team, also, Avareem have given us a great offer. It Basically, only costs you $1 to try their program. It's really fantastic. If that sounds interesting, go to the WP Tonic website, WP Tonic, backlink newsletter, and you'll be able to try this great product, like I say, for just $1. What a fantastic offer. See you soon, folks. We're coming back. We've had a bit of a dive. I thought that would happen when we be able to get together. But it's been fascinating. So, um, you've produced a ton, a ton of courses, lessons. I don't know how many bloody courses and lessons you actually have produced. I don't know either. No, you probably don't <laughs> want to know. Uh, um, if you could go back to the beginning. What would be some of the advice that you would give? Because we we got an audience. I got a company that we help e-learning entrepreneurs oh. build and set up membership e-, e education on WordPress. What would be some of the some of the tips or insights you would give that early version um, from where you are now? Talk to people.
1: Uh, They actually do uh, in-depth qualitative qualitative research on what you're doing. Uh, By that I mean go out and talk to the people that you're going to be training and figure out what they need. And when I say talk to them, I don't mean sit down, like talk to them over the phone or whatever. I mean watch them do their work and see where they get stuck. And when you see them get stuck, find out why they're getting stuck. Like, Is this a problem of I don't understand the interface or is this a problem of I don't understand this entire concept? Um, and also observe when they're doing things that to you make no sense. Um, that could be like if you're talking in the WordPress world, it could be something like um, they're using a page instead of a post when they should be using a post. Or it could be, they're using tags or categories in an odd way, or they they keep, like, adding new blocks into the block editor when it seems like all these blocks are doing the same thing. Um, and they're, like, using different blocks. And look at whether your reaction to it, your reaction of this is odd or wrong or whatever, is based on your personal opinion about this or whether it's actually wrong from the platform standpoint and whether that wrongness or oddness is caused by an inconsistency in the platform or poor communication from the platform or if it's a lack of understanding of the intent that the user is trying to meet or if it's that the user doesn't know what they're trying to do and they're just doing whatever feels comfortable or natural, right? Because um, what most of the information about how to do the basic things exists already. And there's little value in trying to reproduce existing information, right? Um, so if, uh, if you're a new WordPress developer or a new WordPress user, you're just like building a WordPress site, there is training materials out there that will teach you how to do that properly. And as a training person, I could go into that space and try to outcompete other people But you'd be competing against like LinkedIn learning, right? You'd be competing against the WordPress documentation team. The chance of you having great success in that space is small because you're competing against behemoths, right? With millions of dollars of marketing or the actual platform training itself. Um, So then you have to say, what is it that I can do that they don't do? that I can build on top of? Or what is my specialty? Why would people come to me instead of these other platforms? And it's usually by having niche training, either in that you're providing training to a custom platform, right? So someone who has some sort of unusual setup for WordPress that needs specialty functionality. Or it could be that you're saying, okay, so all those people give generic training for like, you want to build a website. I give training on how to build a website for e-learning specifically. And We focus only on those features, right? And that also gives you the ability to say, I'm not going to do all the boring stuff. I'm not going to do all the like how to set up a WordPress site and set the site title. I'm going to let my users go watch that somewhere else and then I'll focus only on the big things and then you can charge more for it because you'll be like, you can get that other stuff anywhere but you can only get this stuff here and this is my specialty and this is what I excel at, right?
0: right that's great
2: um when i think something that's super interesting when people are thinking about like training and learning is like what platform or what to use especially now that we have i mean facebook rebranding as meta the idea of the metaverse the idea of vr like is that going to completely eclipse me making videos like should i even start making e-learning videos now and just, like, get on to this new <laughs> VR thing? Or, no. like, like, where does
1: that put into all of this? So, so the VR thing, I think, is... <sighs> like, there was an article that came out right after the Meta announcement that was saying, I forget the title of it, but it was saying something like, Meta, or, meta is, the, is the promise that has not been met for the past 20 years, right? And it, it, you're old enough, both of you, to remember... There was, like, in the early 90s, you could go to theme parks and they would have, like, VR rigs, right? Like, this ring that you stood inside and you were playing some sort of shooting game where you had a gun and you had the glasses on and it was a really shitty experience, right? <laughs> and the only real difference between that and now is the high resolution and that you don't have, like, lag in the system. But you're still standing in that stupid ring. You still have the big-ass headset on. Everything is the same. And... Anything that goes to like like that fear of the lawnmower man. Remember that movie? Right? That that people would be in like these gyroscopes. You haven't seen the lawnmower man? No, oh my the God. lawnmower man? The lawnmower man.
2: You have the... to
1: go watch the lawnmower <laughs> man. You will be appalled at the graphics. But it's like the story <laughs> is the story is about how the scientist makes a VR rig and this um um um, intellectually challenged person uh, who pushes a lawnmower is put into this rig and then he becomes like hyper-intelligent, right? And they're in like a gyroscope with haptic suits on. So, so all the concepts that they're talking about, right? And then 80s graphics, which <laughs> are really awful. Sounds incredible. <laughs> uh, absolutely worth watching. I'm sure you can find it for free somewhere online. But um, that was in like the late 80s, early 90s. And the only difference now, but 30 years later, is that the graphics are better. <laughs> They're still in the same space. It's still just as shitty. So there's no, I wouldn't say there's an immediate risk um, of, you know, you making training videos today. They're just going to be phased out by some Facebook thing. However, um, there is a very... Real risk that uh, classroom teaching will be impacted by this in a very short period of time um, and the simple and the simple reason for that is classroom classroom instruction is very expensive right you have to build a building and you have to put people inside that building and you have to have teachers at the building and you have to have maintenance of the building and you have to have books and all that stuff and um, enterprising companies will very quickly realize hey if we can like sell the school board on this idea that all the kids just put on glasses and they're in the virtual classroom and they have virtual books and they have a virtual teacher, then the teacher can teach hundreds of kids at the same time, right? And, and then just whoever pops up they talk to. And for each of the students, it'll still feel like they're in a small room. It's just they don't realize the volume that's actually there because you can program that in. And the like end game there will be, lower-income students or students Mm -hmm. in areas that have less money will be shunted over to a (coughs) VR school, whereas the rich kids get to go to an actual school, right? And there will be this massive class divide. And that will be fueled by companies giving the schools the headsets for free, right? And if you go read Ready Player One, that's basically what that book is about, right? How, like, the poor kids go to virtual school. This isn't, like, this isn't me going like, oh, this is a terrible thing that might happen. This is the thing that will absolutely happen. Like, oh, 100% guarantee. Yeah. This will be offered within a
0: year. Some no, they already active. They'll be offered. they they're already like, active. You can get they?
1: these headsets for free, put them on all your poor kids, they'll get a better experience. And then all of a sudden the school boards will be like, what? Like, or the like, conservative politicians will be like, oh, why are we spending all this money on school? We can do this cheaper this way. And then you'll have a class divide, right? the kids who have the privilege of actually meeting other human beings and the kids who don't. And it'll be very clear which kids get one and which kids get the other, right? Um, so that is a real thing that will happen. But when you move into when you move into more advanced things like higher education. Um, the interaction between like professor and student becomes very, very important, right? And for a lot of things, it becomes even more important because like you have all the profession, studies like medical profession, dental, lawyer, lawyer, all these things will be very hard to move over. But if you're looking at something like sociology, you still have this, significant human component that you need. Part of sociology is going out into the real world and talking to real people. So So there's a bunch of these pieces that just can't translate well into these platforms. When you come to the technical aspect of it, what I've observed is when you're doing video training, you're training a certain segment of your audience. Because the advanced technical audience doesn't want video training. They want text that they can just scan quickly, find what they're looking for, copy out the piece and put it in. Unless there's a specific thing they're dealing with, like an interface change that they need to visually see, which is why you get these hybrid articles that will have like text and then some video demo and then a code demo and then more text, right? And those things are very difficult to do. Adding VR on top of that would not improve the experience. It would just be way more complicated, right? Yeah, and you're think... putting an added barrier in front of the learner. So I think they, um, for that type of thing, the hybrid model with text, videos, and code examples is the right way to go. It's yeah. also much easier to produce.
0: So um, I'm interested in you saying about hybrid because... There's there's the concept of either online education or face-to-face. There's one or the other. Mm -hmm. Where I see the real benefit is a hybrid model, which the Open University in the UK Mm -hmm. um, since the 60s has been expert in, where you do so much of the training at home through television, well, originally through television and radio, but now through the internet, but then you have weekend camps, or yep. you have summer schools, or you um and they try and build real community amongst the students and then they have these face to face meetings yep. um between professors and I think I'm amazed at how many um how that hasn't been moved on, and I really think that's a great concept what was your feeling about that um so there's this uh, pedagogical
1: concept called flipping the classroom, which is bad, effectively. Um, the, the idea of flipping the classroom is traditionally classroom teaching is you go into a classroom and then the teacher will impart on you knowledge. <laughs> and then you go home and you do homework. Flipping the classroom, the teacher will record the lecture. And then the students watch the lecture at home and they come to school and then there's a discussion of the lecture or actual work around the lecture and then the teacher becomes a resource for fielding the discussion or helping you know, helping drive the discussion or help them actually figure out the problems, right? That educational model works way better. <laughs> it's like flipping the classroom works way better. Why don't teachers do it? Because it's much more work,
0: yeah. right? Yeah, it is. And,
1: if you've ever been to a higher education institution, you will know that there are some teachers that are absolutely awful, right? And the reason why they're awful is usually because they're just running a script. So they've done the same lecture a thousand times. They're not willing to update it. Um, I remember when I was in university, I had a professor that would come in with a set of uh, overhead slides, right? Transparencies. And then the lecture would be him sitting there putting the slides on the overhead projector. And then he would fill in where the letters had been worn out from use and just read what was on the slide and we would sit there being like can you just xerox copy these and then we will not show up to class cuz this is an awful experience we're just sitting here transcribing shit that you have used so many times that this the literal ink has come off your overhead right this isn't education this is i don't know what this is but it's definitely not education getting him to be like oh no I'm going to record my lecture and then actually interact with other human beings in class. That would never happen. So, so it requires like a culture shift in the teachers. And what you're seeing is younger instructors that are coming into education are more willing to do this because they are you know, taught on this model. But even they then get baked into this culture of it's easier to do it the other way. So, there, so there's, there's a lot of cultural shifts that need to happen, right? Um, if you go write Hendrik Ibsen, right? Like, he wrote about this in the 1800s, how like the Latin school model was terrible. It took almost 100 years to get rid of that model, right? And like, his books literally describe in detail how this is not an educational model that works, but it took 100 years. It's the same now. It'll take a long time for schools to shift out of that model. But online education alone, like you said, is not necessarily a solution because you're missing this interactive component. So what I've seen students have really good success with is to make um, learning cohorts, right? So you call them learning groups or reading groups or whatever you want, but literally like, go on the internet and say, hey, so I want to learn JavaScript. Who else wants to learn JavaScript? And then you find a bunch of people who are at the same level as you, and because of the internet, they can be anywhere in the world, right? You just have to figure out time zones. And then you say, okay, Um, this week, we're going to work on um, object orientation. And then each person in the group can go watch a different course or read a different book uh, or a chapter in a book. And then they all come together on a day, Friday, at the end of the week. And they say, okay, what have we all learned? And then they can all share their insights with each other, right? I tried this and I found that really hard. Oh, but I wrote this other book and that had a good explanation of this. But right, and then you share knowledge and you don't all have to read every book, you can then, right? And you get to talk to other people about your challenges and your opportunities, and it becomes what you would get from a university setting. The The challenge there is you need to find those people, right? And you have to actively cultivate a learning group so that it moves forward. But that is a way of working around the problem.
0: Right, we're going to go, we're going to end the podcast, we're going to have a quick bonus section, which you'll be able to listen to the whole interview on the WP Tonic YouTube channel. You can also watch it and please join the Facebook, the WP Tonic Facebook group, which is about e-learning, entrepreneur, building a membership site, getting going, basically. It's a great resource. So Morton, if people want to find out more about you and what you're up to, what's the best way online to find that?
1: You can find me on LinkedIn. My name is Morton Rand Hendrickson. Uh, Should be relatively easy to find. Uh, I'm also on Twitter, yelling at Jonathan uh, (laughs) at Morton. That's M-O-R and the number ten, more ten because that's my name. Uh, And I'm on TikTok, (laughs) trashing things and being cynical at Morton Web. So any dance moves? Zero Web. Not yet. And I'm I'm a ballroom dancer. Ballroom dance does not translate well, too. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Right. Right. Stephen, what's the best way for people to find out more about you? Uh, Head over to uh, Huzzlefish.com.
2: Check out what we're working
0: on. That's great. There won't be an interview next week, folks, because it's Thanksgiving. And... uh, I can't be bothered to try and find a guest, (laughs) uh, which is practically impossible, and I'm sure Stephen's travelling. So, but we'll be back the following week with another great guest. Like I say, I'm going to have a quick bonus section. I'm going to be asking um, Morton about IQ. Uh, um, That should be interesting. We'll be back next week. See you soon, folks. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the WP Tonic Podcast, the
2: podcast that gives you a dose of WordPress medicine twice a week.